we are looking at the Christmas story, and we have been last week, this week, and next week. It's a familiar story to all of you. And so I'm trying to focus on, on some things to, to, to bring out and to, to, to maybe help you adjust your focus for the season. And one of the things we looked at is, is we're looking at the contrast of the story. We're looking at, at kind of opposites. And so last week, we talked about kings. We talked about King Herod versus Jesus as king. And this morning, we're going to take a look at the shepherds and the magi because they are two extreme parts of this story. And so we have uh, the birth of Christ in Luke, and we have it in Matthew, and we'll be looking at both of those. So uh, this morning, let me start with the, uh, the shepherds. And so Luke chapter 2, uh, here's the text, here's what it says, and uh, we'll, read it. we'll read it as uh, you guys throw it up there. And there, were in this sh- and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be to all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born unto you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, or wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Uh, going on. Next. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby and was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as just which were just as they had been told. Uh, this is a pretty straightforward story to us. We've all heard it. We're all familiar with it. We all know it. But I, I want you to step back a little bit with me in time and try to put some things in context for you. When you and I think of shepherds, we often think of shepherds from the Old Testament idea, that, that shepherds were something that, that was kind of a cool occupation to have. At the time of Jesus, that was not true. Um, in an agrarian culture, in a world in which it was all about farming, shepherding was fine. Uh, you know, there was, a, there was a camaraderie about people who lived out in the country and, and, and they understood animals and taking care of animals and the need to take care of sheep and all of that. But when cities started coming about and, and, and cities became a focus, and some of you have experienced this, people who lived in the country were kind of pushed aside. And they were kind of looked at as backwards, so to speak. Within the culture of the time of Jesus, this is occurring outside the city of Jerusalem, which is like the big megatropolis of the whole area. I mean, this is like a big deal. This is like the the Washington, D.C. of the United States. I mean, this is where everything happens. And in that culture, being a shepherd was, it it was the lowest class of people. Um, They were considered the bottom of the rung. Uh, In religious circles, that was even more true. Because you see, in religious circles, in Jewish circles, they couldn't keep, they couldn't couldn't be at temple on, on the Sabbath. They couldn't not work on the Sabbath. So every week, they broke all the Sabbath rules because they were out working with sheep. Um, 
they, they, oftentimes they lived with sheep, so you can imagine how they smelled. Uh, you can imagine, so uh, you can imagine that all of the feast days where you're supposed to do all the washings and be ceremonial clean and all, they couldn't do any of that. So they were kind of these people that were necessary, but nobody wanted anything to do with them. Because you see, what would happen is, and, and, and we know from the Mishnah, which is like a, an old book written around the Bible times, um, which was, uh, it's an ancient text that we have, and it, it, it gives us some insight into the Bible time. The Mishnah actually talks about, there's a, there's a tower outside of Jerusalem. Um, uh, and, and, and the Mishnah talks about the idea of this tower being there, and the tower was there for shepherds who took care of what we call Pascal lambs or Passover lambs. So many Bible scholars believe that the shepherds who, are, who this scene occurs to are, are taking care of lambs that are going to be sacrificed at Passover. And, and if that's true, that adds a whole new dynamic to the story. Uh, because, you know, these are people who, the irony of the ironies is, these are people who basically, when Jesus is born, in 30 years are out of a job. Because Jesus is going to be the one final sacrifice, and there's going to be no more sacrifice. So ultimately, you know, there's kind of an irony with that if, if that's the case. But whatever the case is, we know there's shepherds who are just sitting out doing their job, taking care of sheep. And if you'll think about it for a minute, that's not an exciting job. It's, you know, and I think it would be a great job for an insomniac. But I mean, you know, I mean, you know, one, two, three. Oh, I can sleep now. Uh, I mean, whatever. I mean, you know, it's one of these ideas where, where it wasn't a great job. And what are these guys doing? They're just doing their job. They're not looking for a Messiah. They're not looking for anything. They're just doing their job, taking care of sheep. And all of a sudden, uh, go, back to the, uh, go back to the other one, guys. Um, notice what it says. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terrified. I mean, you know, it's just a nice night. And all of a sudden, the heavens kind of open up, and there's an angel standing in front of them. And you've got to understand, in this culture, when you saw an angel, you, I mean, you really thought you were a dead person. You really did. Because, you know, it was just, it was, it was and, and, and the first thing the angel says is, whoa, 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 don't be afraid. This is okay. I'm bringing good news. And so the angel calms them down, uh, and then it says, uh, don't be afraid. <clears throat> I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. The message I've got for you is something everybody wants to hear. It's something that's going to impact the entire world. And notice what he says. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Now, again, that would have been unusual. That's how it, it, was, it was an unusual birth because, you know, you didn't usually find a kid in a barn, um, especially a newborn. Um, you know, a newborn, everybody protects them and takes care of them. And to find it in a feeding trough, that is going to be out of the norm. And, 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 and notice what it says. Suddenly there was a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, um, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Some of you, King James says, goodwill towards men. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Um, there, there is some belief in, in, the, in the Old Testament times during Passover, there were three trumpet bursts um, that were given before they made a sacrifice. Uh, and uh, a, 
lot of people believe that the way this is set up in the Greek language, it, it, it refers to those three births, boom, 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 um, of what God is doing. And he, again, relating it to that. But notice what they're told. They're told to go and, and find this baby. And then going on, guys, go back to the next one. And so when the angels left them and had gone into heaven, they look at each other and goes, okay, let's go to Bethlehem and see this. Now, I don't know what they did. I don't know how they took care of the sheep. They may have got one guy to stay back, you know, that poor guy you know, that missed this thing. But um, somebody would have taken care of the sheep. They would not have abandoned them. They, they leave, and they come to Bethlehem. And I, just, I really want you to understand and think about this for a minute. So they come to Bethlehem, and there's Mary, and there's Joseph, and there's Jesus, and maybe a bunch of animals. That's it. And a bunch of dirty, stinky shepherds. Um, you know, in my job, one of the things that's kind of fun for me is I get to a lot of times be in the hospital right after a kid's born and be with the family. And that's always such an incredible time because it's just a, usually it's just a small group before everybody kind of comes crashing in and then it becomes crazy. Um, and it's always kind of a really unique, fun time to be able to just special, to have that special moment. Um, <clears throat> and, and you're waiting for family and friends to come in, and then it's all exciting and everything. They got nobody except a bunch of shepherds. The social outcasts of the day. The people that nobody wants to talk to, that nobody wants to be around. That no, you know, it's not like, you know, they, it's not like people go, you know, oh, do you know who stopped by to see, you know, our baby? The shepherds did. The shepherds. Nobody wanted anything to do with the shepherds. And they're here. And the shepherds come, and they look at this incredible little child, and they just stand there in amazement, realizing this is God. This is, this is the king. This is the savior. This is the person who's going to change it all. And, and in that, that short little time, they have this incredible moment where God is present in the middle of them. And it changes their life because they go back and tell everybody and people are just amazed at the story. And some people think they're loony and they've lost their mind and other people embrace them. And some people won't talk to them because they're shepherds. But you know what? They don't care about any of that. They're going to tell everybody what they saw and what God's done. And here's the thing, and this is what I think is so significant. When God announces the birth of his son, the most important event in all of history God wrapped himself in flesh and dwelt among us. The first group God goes to, to say, I want you guys to see this first, is a bunch of people society wants nothing to do with. The social outcasts of the day. And then there's another group that comes. And they're on the far opposite end of the spectrum. And that's the magi. Um, you know them as the, the three wise men, or they have a pastor friend who calls them the three wise guys. Um, there are probably more than three. Um, some, some people go as high as 12. Uh, we say there are three because by 6th century, century A.D., the church has given them names. Um, some of you may have heard um, uh, uh, Mal oh, I wanna, uh, Malcolm. Um, uh, come on, I'll think of who they are. Yeah, Melchon, Belshazzar, and Gaspar. Um, so they've given them three names. We think they, they used three because there were three gifts and blah, 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 blah. We don't know about any of that. 
Um, your manger scenes probably have three because there are three gifts and we don't know what else to do. You know, what other gifts would they have? So we don't know. So anyway, but here's the deal. They were probably Gentiles uh, because they were from another part. They were most likely, uh, historically, we believe astrologers. So they would have studied the stars. They would have been incredibly wealthy. They would have been incredibly educated. And they, it revealed to them that, that Jesus was born. And so they, like anybody visiting, would go and bring gifts to worship. And so they start out on their journey, and they probably would have had a fairly large entourage with them. And that group would have traveled along until they came to Jerusalem. I mean, again, this is king of the Jews, so where's the king of the Jews going to be born? Probably where the king of the Jews is now being king, which was Herod, which was Jerusalem. So they come to Jerusalem, and they start asking questions. And, of course, like we talked about last week, that raises a big problem with Herod, who's paranoid anyway. But... Um, when Jesus comes into the scene, or uh, these guys come into the scene asking about Jesus. And they want to know, where is he? Where is he? And this raises some, some questions in the city. Make no mistake about it. You know, it'd be like this morning. If you came into church this morning and out in the parking lot, there were uh, three Rolls Royces and four Teslas all lined up. Your question is going to be, who owns those? Okay? Who's here? Um, you know, you're going to want to know because those kinds of things attract attention. In the same way, when you come into a city with an entourage and you're wealthy and educated and everything else and you've got a, a group with you, you're going to raise some attention, and these guys had. And they said, where is he? They want to know, where is he that's born uh, king of the Jews? Notice what it says in Matthew. Here's the story. Uh, it says, uh, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it arose ahead of them stopped until it was over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, so we're, we're past the manger scene, Hound. They're, they're settled. Um, some people place this dated like January 6th, actually. Um, we don't know. Uh, but it says, they, they come to the house. They see the child with his mother, Mary. It's interesting. Joseph isn't mentioned here. We assume he's there, but the text doesn't say uh, with Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures and presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Uh, what they do then is they come into this scene, and they see Mary and Jesus, and we assume Joseph there, but um, they see Mary and Jesus there. And again, they're looking at the future king. They're looking at the king of kings and lord of lords. They don't understand all that yet. And they look at Mary and they look at Joseph and they say, Mary and Jesus, and, and they say, you know, we have some gifts. Like I said earlier to the kids, it's about giving. And they wanted to worship. And in this culture, you didn't go before a dignitary without a present. You would always bring something. And usually you would bring something of great value. You would bring something of great significance. Um, you know, even to this day, when, 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 when presidents meet with with other people from, you know, when presidents of countries or, or kings or whatever else of, of presidents meet, they usually bring important gifts from their country. It was, the same, it was the same protocol. So they'd bring these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And again, if you'll think about it for a minute, for, for a poor peasant family like Mary and Joseph, this becomes significant because they're about ready to have to flee to Egypt. And they're going to have to live down there with something. 
And so it helps us understand the story a little bit better to know that they had the means by which to support themselves until they get back up to, to uh, uh, where they can get back to work again. And so they bring and they present these gifts of gold, of frankincense and myrrh. No, that doesn't mean a lot to us, but often in this day they traded with those spices and they were incredibly valuable and they had incredible um, bartering power, so to speak. And so they present these gifts to him and they worship and then they go back and they tell people what they saw. Now, that's the story, and, and, and you know it. I, I think it's amazing to me the contrast between the lowest part of, of society and one of the highest parts of society. And, and, and there's some similarities in the way they respond, and I think those are the lessons for us, um, and I think those are the things that help us. So um, let's dive into a couple of them. Here's the thing, and this is the thing. To, I think in this story we learn something about how you come to Jesus. How did the shepherds come? Help me out. How did the shepherds come? Huh? Just as they are. They didn't say, hey, look, time out. We've got to go clean up. God said, hey, here's what's happening. And so you know what? That, they went. They went immediately. It's interesting. There are very few things. In a, one of great studies, study this sometimes. There are very few things in the Bible that it says happen quickly. In this case, um, God becomes, or the angel appears before them suddenly. Um, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit appears suddenly at Pentecost. In the end times, Jesus comes back suddenly. There are not a lot of things in the Bible that God does very, very quickly, but this is one. He appears quickly, and suddenly there was the, with them the angel and the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And so one of the things that you see is these guys, you know, they don't, they don't change anything. They just come exactly as they are. And when we come to Jesus, that's exactly what he wants. Now, right, people, you know, well, you know, I'll, you know I'll, it's like, you know, I'll get, I need to get a couple things cleaned up in my life. And that, no, 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 no. You don't understand. God will take you exactly as you are. Now, God's plan is not for any of us to stay that way. So God takes us as we are, and then he works with us to become what he wants us to become. And to have the life that he has intended for us to have. But he takes all of us as we are. What else do you see in the story? Help me out. There's a humility in the way these guys come. You know, they don't sit there and debate, you know, well, I'm just a shepherd. You know, and this is probably too important an event for us to be at. No, no, no. They, they come humbly. And they come quickly. You know, they, they, they basically, once this happens, they go, hey, we got to go check this out. You can't get to Jesus fast enough. And I meet people all the time and say, you know, well, you know, later on, maybe I'll put my faith and trust in Christ. Later on, maybe I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll, can I be very as candid, as candid, as candid as I can be to you this morning? Can you promise me you've got another day? Because see, in my world, I've learned this about life. It's short and it's uncertain. And I can't tell you the number of people that I talk to that have all of these plans, but they never happen because they don't live to see any of those plans happen. None of us is guaranteed. As, as James says, our life is a vapor. It, it appears for a moment and it's gone. And, and look, you've got today. Um, I, I saw, I don't know, it was a Facebook thing or something. You know, it, it was a clock about, you know, when should you accept Christ? And it was a clock. 
And everything instead of 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, it had now, 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 now. That's, that's it. Now, the best, there's no better time to put your faith and trust in Christ. You know? Because you'll understand what the shepherds and imagine it. It changes your life. You'll understand if we had a time, and we don't have time, but if we had the time and I could have people stand up and give you their testimonies, you would hear people, you'd have person after person after person say, this is where I was, this is what God did, this is where I am, and this is what God's doing. And their life before and their life now, in some cases, is unrecognizable. Why? Because just like the shepherds, they went back, and again, they didn't care if anybody listened to them or not, they were going to tell everybody. And I think it would have been a hoot when, you came, when it came time for Passover that year. Because you know how it goes. If you're a salesman or you're a businessman, what do you do? When you're, when you're selling something, don't you try to build a rapport with whoever it is you're selling with so they come back? You know, those of you who sell hay or you sell cattle, you know. I mean, when you're talking to somebody, how much of the discussion is really about the animal or the hay? It's about all kinds of other stuff. And you'll talk about that a little bit, but you're trying to build a rapport with them. I can imagine, and some of these guys, got, they got repeat customers coming back for Passover lambs or for lambs, and, and, and they're sitting here and saying, you know, well, how was your year? Oh, let me tell you what happened to us, man. You're not going to believe this. Hey, Joe, come here. You've got to hear this. Listen to what this guy's saying. They told everybody they had a chance to. It changed their life. That's what God does. That's what God does. And for some of you, you're missing the Christmas story. You're missing what Christmas is all about because there's not a personal relationship with that baby in a manger. And um, all I can say to you is you don't know what you're missing. I'm not, I'm not saying the Bible promises you a life of ease, but I will say this. The Bible promises you a glory to God in the, in, in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to more. It puts a peace and a calm in your heart that no matter what comes in your way, you know you're not alone anymore. Because you walk through life with Christ. Second thing is, I think you learn something here about how God works. God uses everybody. Lowest of the low, highest of the high. God does some extraordinary things. You know, I mean, these guys are just doing their job. Next thing you know, there's a bunch of angels in front of them. Going, hey, we're about ready to tell you the greatest. And, and can you imagine heaven? Can you imagine heaven? Where Jesus, got, where God goes, okay, hey, look, I need somebody to announce the birth of my son. Any volunteers? And the angel's going, send me, send me, send me. And can you imagine standing on the hillside and you see one angel? That was scary enough. But then all of a sudden, the whole thing lights up and there's hundreds and thousands and maybe millions of them all speaking at the same time. I mean, let me say this, that's life-changing alone. And, 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 and God uses this extraordinary thing, and he uses a bunch of astrologers, a bunch of wise men to just come and, and, and go here. We know that, they didn't know that, but we know, you know, God in his infinite wisdom knew that Mary and Joseph were going to need money because they're going to have to flee to Egypt, and there was going to be nobody there to take care of them, so he uses a bunch of Gentiles. And... and these guys are worshiping a king? Let me tell you something. God does, does the unusual, and you need to understand that. 
And some of you, my greatest, you know, my great, one of my greatest frustrations here is you don't understand how much God can use you if you just let him. All these people did was say yes. Okay, we'll follow a star. Okay, we'll go to a manger. And God uses them. And, and I want to challenge you with that for, for you guys to understand that, look, you don't know the impact of your life on another life. And God wants to use you. God wants to use every single one of us. And you go, well, you know, nobody listens to me. You'd be amazed who's listening. And don't, don't underestimate it because God wants to use it. And then I think the last thing that I see in this story is this idea of these guys were the first people to tell the story of Jesus. These people were the ones who spread the news. These were the ones who went out. And notice what the, the text says. What did they do? They went out and told everybody. We're in a world that wants you to be politically correct. So we're actually at a point now that we don't say Merry Christmas to people anymore because we're afraid it's going to offend them. Can you imagine having a little meeting with the shepherds afterwards and saying, okay, God, now, guys, now look, we don't want to offend anybody, so we don't want you to talk about, like, Jesus and Savior and Lord and everything else. You can tell them about the angels, but we don't want you to tell them about this other stuff. Can you imagine sitting down with the wise men and saying, okay, guys, you know, I, I know that you think he's like king, but, you know, here, Herod's really the king, and we don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers here, so let's not. And you know what's great? They just told him what happened. We're at a point where we're afraid to tell the Christmas story anymore. I'm not saying you go in and at work and start passing out tracts and set up a soapbox and start preaching to everybody as they're coming. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you have legitimate opportunities to share Christ with somebody, we're at a point in our culture where we back away, and that's wrong. We'll let anybody else tell us what's happening in their life, you know, and we'll let, we'll let people on all ends of the spectrum talk about anything they want to talk about, but then we back away. And I, and I think as Christians, we need to really step back and say, you know what? Have I allowed my culture, have I allowed the world to dampen my joy and my opportunities? And, and I just want to challenge you with that because I think sometimes we lose that. And the thing is, this changed their life. And I know some of you are going into in the holiday, you're going to be around family and you're going to be around friends and, and they don't want to talk about the church thing. When they have an opportunity to, when you have an opportunity to talk to them about what God's doing in your life and what God's done this year in your life. Don't get shy. Don't back away. Be bold. Let God use it. Because these guys told people what God was doing. And these guys let, let people know, this is what we saw. This is how, you know, we saw this baby. And, and can you think about it for a minute? In the course of the next 10, 15 years, as they would start to hear stories about Jesus, and they go, I was there. I saw that child. I saw that kid. In fact, I was one of the first ones there. Let me tell you our story and how he changed our lives. And I just want to challenge this season because I think sometimes we back away.
And we need to be able to share with Christ, share with others, the Christ who has changed our lives. Again, don't be obnoxious. No one likes obnoxious people, okay? But you know what? Don't shy away from it. When God has provided you the unusual, unique opportunity to share Christ in an unusual, unique situation or circumstance. Because sometimes we step away from it and we lose the opportunities that God puts straight in front of us. And I just want to challenge you this season because I'm afraid, I'm afraid we've stopped talking about Jesus. And what's this season all about anyway? You heard it this morning from a child when I said, what's Christmas all about? And what did she say? Jesus. Need we say more? And when we have opportunities to tell people that's what it's about, we need to. So my prayer for you goes something like this. That you would seek Jesus this season. That you make sure that you have a genuine, personal relationship with him that changes your life. The Christmas story teaches us that God delights in using people from all walks of life. And we're reminded the whole purpose of this story is to share it with others. So share it this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, for some here today who may not understand or know what it means to have a faith and trust in you, Lord, would you help them to come to understand that? Lord, would you use us to be a part of helping them to understand the greatest thing in all the world? Lord, for those of us who have a faith and trust in Christ, for those of us who have that relationship, who, Lord, we have watched you change and are changing our lives every day. Lord, for us, would you help us to be more bold? Would you help us to take the opportunities that we have? Lord, would you use us to tell your story to a world who hasn't heard it? And Lord, when it is all said and done, may Jesus Christ be honored, glorified, and exalted in our lives this week, and we will give you the honor and the glory and the praise these things we ask in your name. Amen.